We are taking a week off from our series through the book of Luke today uh, with everything that's been going on in our world. Uh, Hey, before I go any further, uh, if you didn't see my email earlier in the week, uh, this message is not for kids, um, at least young kids. If you're worried or you're unsure about whether or not the subject matter is appropriate for your kids, uh, what I would do is I would uh, watch this yourself first and then decide if it's appropriate for your kids. I just, I want to respect and I want to honor your teaching in their life, respective to their age and development, and so I didn't want to make that choice for you. Before we start talking about the issues at hand, let's just open up God's Word. Uh, We need wisdom from the Lord now uh, more than ever, Uh, not just our endless list of ideas. Uh, Our passage today is 10 verses long, I'm just going to read it in its entirety, and then we'll kind of unpack it as we go through the message. So we're going to read from the book of Isaiah. Uh, This is going to be God speaking to the Israelites. This is about 700 years or so before Jesus Christ comes to earth. So I want you to grab a Bible, because you're going to want to look at this today as we read. Um, Open it up, and let's let's go through it. So this is Isaiah chapter 58. Uh, We are going to be in verses 1 through 10. Here's what it says says, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob, that's the Israelites, their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. This is God speaking, saying, the people are seeking me. They seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So they're upset that they're fasting and doing these religious things, but God doesn't seem to be answering their own personal specific prayers. Now God's going to answer back. And he says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord, and you will call, and the Lord will answer. And you will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. Okay, so the Israelites acted as if they really want to know God, right? And they want him to come near to them. But 
what they really want is they want to do things their way and they just want God's blessing at the same time. It's really not all that different than how many people live today. And then God tells them, he says, here's why you don't have my blessing. Right? Even though you're doing this like day of fasting and mourning and prayer, a sort of special religious day, here's why you don't have my blessing. He's saying, it's because you're fasting for a day, but then you went right back to ignoring justice and exploiting your workers and ignoring the poor. You know, this has been a, a hard week, hard week and a half, almost two weeks now. We all know what happened. Uh, a white police officer murdered George Floyd, a black man. And it was not only wrong, it was evil and unjust. I want you to think about this for a second. What if it would have been me? I want you to picture me, a white man, at 38th in Chicago. Let's say I go into the grocery store and I use a $20 counterfeit bill and they call the cops on me. Can you imagine a white police officer doing the same to me, holding me down with a knee to my neck? Or what about a white 65-year-old woman yelling, I can't breathe? Can you see him doing it for eight minutes? I can't. And we know, right? We know that George Floyd, it's not an isolated incident, right? I know many of you aren't as obsessed with history as I am, but you only need to know a little of history to know this has been a problem of systemic oppression for a long time, hundreds of years. And the problem is that it's still happening, right? You know, there's a church planter from our denomination who's out on the East Coast that I know. He's a lot like me in a lot of respects, uh, many similarities, um, same role, but one of the main differences is he's black. He leads his church. It's a great church. He speaks at conferences, does all these sorts of things. Well, this guy, in the year 2017, uh, he was driving to speak at a Christian youth conference. And while he was driving to this Christian conference, uh, he was pulled over by a white police officer. And he was pulled over for driving in the left lane too long. Just think about that for a second. And the officer pulled him over and he asked this pastor if he had any guns or knives or grenades in his vehicle. He asked the pastor if he had grenades. And the pastor that I know, he begins to feel nervous, right? Because we've all seen too many videos like this. And so what he does is he turns on Facebook Live. And I watched the rest of this video. So the officer goes back to his police car and he gets on a megaphone and he says to this pastor, this man of God, he says, you need to get out of your car and come back here. And you watch, it's just heartbreaking to watch. You watch on the video as this man of God, he's looking into his phone and he's saying, please pray for me. I am scared, pray for me, I don't know what to do. 
and then he, lo- he looks out, out, out the window and he just says, sir, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I feel safer in my car. Can I stay in my car? Pray for me. And they say, get out of the car. It's just heartbreaking. He's driving to share the gospel with high school students. Exact same year, I'm driving my car. It's 2017, it's 10 o'clock. I'm driving home, 10 o'clock at night in Blaine, and boo, I get pulled over. Well, the thing is, I'm driving home from our dear friend, Sammy Wanyoni's uh, Shine Gala, where we you know, raise money and talk about reaching all nations for Christ. And so this particular night, I'm driving home and I'm wearing a suit. Right? I look great, fancy, sharp, like a businessman, driving in my mid-sized SUV, right? Same one I've owned forever, but it's maybe a few years old at this time, in a suit, and I'm white. Listen, if you're uh, a close friend of mine, you know that one of my many sins is I drive way too fast. Uh, I'm a really driven person, and so I always want to get where I'm going, and I've always got some idea in my head, and so I'm sometimes absent-minded when I'm driving. So I just drive way too fast, but I've never got a ticket in my entire life, and so I've long told my friends, many of them can validate this, I've said, listen, when I get pulled over someday, and the officer hands me a ticket, I'm gonna say, listen, I just want you to know I deserve this. Thank you, officer. Well, the officer walks up to my car, and he says, "Uh, sir, I wanna let you know we saw you on the highway. Uh, You were going 72 and a 60. And then we just saw you again on 125th, and you were going 62 in a 50. And so I'm waiting for my ticket, right? I'm I'm not even remotely mad, because I know that I deserve it. And he looks at me and he says, sir, uh, just a reminder, pay attention to those uh, speed limit signs. Have a great night, sir. And he walks back to his car. And I was mad. I was legitimately mad that I didn't get a ticket. Now, if I wouldn't have been such a sinful, selfish person, I would have went and asked for one. But of course, I'm greedy and selfish, and so I, I didn't, right? But this is so different. This is so different. It's different than what I just talked about of this pastor friend of ours on the East Coast. Listen, my parents never had to talk to me as a young white man about how I need to properly interact with police to be safe. When I I was pulled over, I didn't have to keep my hands up and show the police officer where my hands were at all times. That's never crossed my mind. This is the world that we live in right now, and that gets played out a hundred different times in a hundred different ways every day. I'm not an expert on this. I'm not even close. I'm no expert on systemic racism, and I'm not going to pretend to be, but I am a teacher of the Word of God. And that's where we need to be more than anywhere else right now. And there's so much we can learn here. So look at Isaiah 58. The people are asking God to bless them, move in their lives. God, move, move in my heart. Help me get this next job. Help my family grow. Help this relationship get better. They're even fasting and praying about it. But when they get back to their regular lives, they think nothing about justice, right? Be, this would be like coming to church on a Sunday, fasting, saying, God, would you move in my life? But then on Monday, you go right back to ignoring the poor or giving poor wages to your workers or pretending injustice doesn't exist. So look at verse five again, if you have it in front of you. 
this is the word of the Lord. The Lord says, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? See, I think this is my great fear for white evangelical Christians. That this is on the forefront of our minds right now, right? My fear is that we would pray about this for a day and move on. That we would watch a movie on Netflix about this and move on. That we would change our profile picture to a black square for a day and then move on. I mean, this is exactly what God is warning us about in Isaiah 58. Let me ask you a question. What have you done to help Darfur? Now, some of you just went, wait, what's Darfur? Like, I recognize it. It's somewhere in the back of my mind. If you don't remember, or you don't know, Darfur is the western region of uh, Sudan where battles between the Sudanese government and the indigenous people have raged really since all the way back to 2003. And since 2003, 480,000 people have been killed. Three million people have been displaced to refugee camps. Well, here's what you might know about it. Uh, Either you watch the news a lot or you're a student of history. Or if you remember, kind of in like the early 2010s or teens or whatever we're calling them, there were a number of organizations, particularly a number of celebrity voices that started to give uh, focus and time and their voice to this movement of saving Darfur. In fact, there was a a famous Facebook page called Save Darfur. And this Save Darfur Facebook page had 1.17 million members who wanted to help spread the word about what was happening in Darfur in Africa and that it was unjust. Now, the reason that I bring up this particular Facebook page is that researchers actually did a study on this page, which is a Fascinating and tragic at the same time. So they studied the 1.17 million members. I'm sure they did a sample size of it. And what they found probably isn't going to shock you. They found that 99.8% of people did absolutely nothing to help Darfur. We call this slacktivism, by the way. So they did nothing. They didn't go. They didn't send money. They didn't recruit anyone to help. They didn't talk to their lawmakers about it. All they did was tell all of their friends on social media, this is wrong. And that was it. Slacktivism. Some people call that virtue signaling, where you just signal to everyone else around you, I'm really virtuous on this, and I'm saying this is wrong, and then we go back to eating Cheetos on our couch or whatever we do. This is just what Isaiah is talking about. He's saying, for a day, these people come in and they did their religious thing in front of everyone and they kind of felt good inside doing that religious thing and pointing out that it was wrong. And then they just moved on with their normal life. It was a mirage of change. And so listen, God doesn't want you to just get mad and let everyone on social media know that you're mad. He wants you to do something. So look at verses six and seven. It says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, 
and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. You know, most scholars think that Jesus' very famous teaching uh, in Matthew 25 about the least of these kind of comes out of this very verse, Isaiah 58, 7. Uh, If you remember, this is where Jesus says, if you gave food to the hungry, if you invited in the stranger, if you clothed the naked, if you did these things to the least of these, then you did it to me. But then he goes on to say, if you're not doing that, then you don't know me. It's a tough teaching. Read it. Matthew chapter 25. He's saying that if you don't serve the poor, because that's even nowhere a part of your life, right? You're thinking nothing about oppression. You're not helping the hurting. He's saying that I'm not sure that we know each other. That's really hard. Particularly for many of us in the sort of the suburban brand of Christianity that we live in. And so I think we struggle with this. We, a lot of us, we struggle even with the terms, right? And the terms are the things that sort of keep us on the sidelines. We struggle, maybe, maybe you struggle with the term social justice that people throw out, right? Because we feel like it's been politicized. I, in fact, I want to read to you a quote from a Timothy Keller, who's a leader that I know so many of us respect, and really someone whose church is really mature in New York City and addressing the needs of a diverse community. Keller says this, he says, often that term, social justice, is just a slogan being used to recruit listeners to jump on some sort of political bandwagon. Nevertheless, if you're trying to live a life in accordance with the Bible, the concept and call to justice are inescapable. We do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. Doing justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but generosity and social concern, especially toward the poor and vulnerable. This kind of life reflects the character of God. It consists of a broad range of activities, from simple, fair, and honest dealings with people in daily life to regular, radically generous giving of your time and resources, to activism that seeks to end particular forms of injustice, violence, and oppression. That's from his book, Generous Justice. See, the Christian is to, as the book of Proverbs says, says, we are to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. What a verse for right now. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. But I think, unfortunately, this just is how, we, we just rarely talk like this in the suburban church. And I'll take part of the blame for that. I need to do better. You know, every culture, every culture around the globe is blind to some parts of the gospel, some parts of scripture. And our, our culture blinds us from it. You know, I think about our sort of suburban brand of Christianity. We're living in a brand of Christianity, a form of Christianity right now, that in many ways is bought into Christian consumerism, hook, line, and sinker. 
right? Everything has sort of been about, become about like, what can the church provide for me, right? People come to churches and they say, do, do your, does your church have kids programming? Do you guys have a wanna? Do you sing the type of style of music that I like? Do you have the Bible study in group at the time that I like, on the day that I like? And everything is so consumeristic. And church, for too many suburban Christians, has become about God serving us, of course, at a time and a schedule that's convenient for us. And then Christianity gets reduced to some sort of add-on that's only meant to improve the quality of your life. But that's a joke. That's not Christianity. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is about serving an awesome and holy God and doing his will. This God that has come to love us and set us free from sin, and we are to show and spread that message to the world. And part of the way that we do that is by loosening the chains of injustice and amplifying the voices of those who have been calling out, but not enough people are listening. Now, I know this might sound a bit uh, foreign to you and maybe to our version of cultural Christianity that we're living in, but all, this thing, all these things about social justice and helping the oppressed and helping the poor and the hurting and all of those things, it's not foreign to Scripture, <laughs> As I heard one of our elders uh, said this week, just read through the book of Luke again that we've been studying and think about this topic and you can't not see Jesus' heart of justice and for helping the oppressed. It's everywhere. Let me just walk you through some of it as Jesus starts his ministry in Luke chapters four into chapter five. In Luke chapter five, for instance, the lepers are left alone to die outside of the city. No one even serves them. Where's the justice for the hurting in that? But Jesus comes and he brings healing. In Luke chapter six, Jesus tells us, you need to love your enemies. Who are your enemies right now, by the way? In Luke chapter 7, Jesus comes and he forgives the prostitute that no one will talk to because she's not in the sort of upper echelon of social circles. In Luke chapter 8, the angry demoniac also been cast out of the city because he doesn't fit in and he scares people. And Jesus delivers him. Should I keep going? I'm going to keep going. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus feeds the hungry. In Luke chapter 10, the good Samaritan helps the dying man while everybody else walks by because they're just too busy with their regular normal life. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees because they think that their tithing excuses them from having to actually do the work of justice. This is everywhere in the scripture, but if we just keep reading Jesus in this sort of verse of the day, positive, encouraging, how can I find a verse that sort of lifts me up, then you're not going to see this. But it's in the Gospels. And if we reflect Jesus, then we would reflect it. Now, we, we need to be careful here. Right? We still have to live this out in, in a gospel way. Right? As we find ways to just live this out more, we can't do this because of social pressure. I don't want you to do this because of guilt. Because you think you need to earn more of God's love. Because my fear is that Christians would start to feel a need to live out God's word on this topic, but they would do so from wrong motivations. That they would say, oh, I see, my list isn't long enough. I've been reading the Bible, I've been going to church, and now I need to help the poor or seek justice or help the oppressed work on racism, whatever the topic is, right? And there are many of them. Fight for the rights of the unborn. 
And if you just add it to the list saying that's what being a good Christian is and then God will help me and bless me, then you're looking exactly like the people of the first couple verses in Isaiah that are saying, if I do this for God, then he ought to do this for me. And if that's your motivation, this will peter out really quickly, right? It'll just be another mirage of change. Now, you need to take your heart to Jesus on this and see his heart. It has to come out of his heart. You need to take your heart to him and say, Jesus, I'm burdened by this. It's keeping me up at night. This is wrong. And maybe you're just waking up to it for the first time. You say, Lord, I, this is wrong. What do I do? Who do I talk to? Jesus, who should I call? Jesus, bring somebody in my life to teach me on this that I can learn from. How can I make a difference? And your, your desire, it, it has to come from the Holy Spirit. It has to come from the heart of Jesus moving in you. And it will if you get close to Jesus. Because Jesus knows what it's like to be poor. Jesus knows what it's like to not have shelter. He knows what it's like to be falsely arrested without proper trial or representation. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer injustice. Jesus knows what it's like to be murdered. He knows. He understands those who suffer. He gives grace to the suffering. And if you press into that and you understand grace and justification, then we want to show that same love to everyone. You know, I want to be sure that no one misunderstands me here. I'm not saying that the church needs to become a social movement. I'm not saying the church needs to become an issues-based church. No, the, read, the, read the New Testament. The church's mission is very clearly, very clearly, go and make disciples. But what I'm saying is if you are truly a disciple of Jesus and you look like Jesus, the Jesus that we're reading about in the book of Luke, then when the gospel is lived out in you as a disciple, then love and justice should flow through you as we seek to do his will on earth as it is done in heaven. So what should you do about this? Do something. Do something. You know, as a church, we're already in prayer and in talks about how we can carry this passage out. And not just in this area of, of social justice, but in others as well. As a broad category, we are weak in this area. Every church has its weaknesses. This is one of ours. We need to do better. You know, Christian leader and author uh, Reggie Joyner asked five black Christian leaders on what white people can do. And they gave him five things. And here's what they said. We said, number one, listen. Number two, believe us. Number three, befriend us. Number four, care for us. Notice like the action piece is preceded by three relational pieces. And, and number five was stand up for us. I don't know where you are on that list. If you're a white person listening, I know that everyone listening is white. If you are a white person that's listening, learn. 
befriend, read. Read that book, Generous Justice by Timothy Keller. I've seen about 75 other book suggestions in the last 10 days or so as well. If you're not black, listen to a black friend tell you their story. Hear their perspective. Pray, seek the Holy Spirit, say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I look more like Jesus in this category? But don't do nothing. Don't say, this is wrong. I cry out to you, Lord, this is wrong. Do something. And then 10 days from now, it's exactly the same. That's a mirage of change. And that is exactly what our Lord is telling us not to do in Isaiah chapter 58. But look at the promise for those that do justice. Right? This is how the passage ends, 8 through 10. This is, by the way, this is unlike anything you're going to read on Facebook or in some blog. Right? This is from the mouth of God. Here's the promise. He says, then, if you're doing this, if you're carrying this out like Jesus was carrying this out, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing finger and the malicious talk, if you spend yourselves, it's not easy, it's not something you do in a day. You spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Do you, you see what he's saying? God's saying, if you do this, if you fight for the poor, for the hungry, if you fight to remove the yoke of oppression, if you fight against injustice when you see it in the policing system and in other places, if you fight for that, because you know righteousness matters, you know people have value, you're carrying out your life looking like Jesus did. If you do that, then light will rise in the darkness. Light will break forth like the dawn and the glory of the Lord will move. What is that saying? It's saying, if you live like that, you know what's going to happen? People will see God reflected in you because you'll look like Christ. And you know, there are a lot of people out there that they won't see Jesus until we fight for them first. Until we say, you matter. And God loves you. And he created you. And he cares for you. I'm with you. And they see light. And in the light, we bring the gospel of salvation. We make disciples. Let me just pray that the Lord would use us in that way. Lord, Jesus, uh, we confess. Uh, so many of us have so much sin to confess, sin of ignorance, ignorance purposeful ignorance, sins of racism, hate. God, forgive us. Lord, teach us where to go. Lord, bring our country, our nation, unity during this time. And most of all, Lord, we pray that this change that we speak of wouldn't be a mirage, but that we would fight for justice. In your name we pray. Amen.